FIA welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here's your host, Peter Alchel. Welcome to the Friends in Art Parlor. My name is Peter Alchel, the program chair. And before we get started, I want to make a big announcement, which is our new website is finally up and running. So if you want to explore our new website, go to www.friendsinart.org. And on that site, you can join Friends in Art. You can apply for our scholarship if you're a student. You can do all kinds of other things. So again, it's friendsinart.org is the website. And we hope you will check us out and uh, join us if you're interested. And, and, and we also have a discussion list that you can subscribe to. So we hope you will look into that. Our guest this month is Leslie Hamrick. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, it's good to be here. Thank you for joining us. Leslie uh, has a really interesting story to tell. If I have this wrong, Leslie, please correct me. She plays the cello. She gives cello lessons. She teaches Braille music lessons. She plays uh, in an orchestra, a local orchestra. Uh, I think she's married and has a kid, and I know she's a guide dog. Did I say all that correctly? Yeah, I'm a, cool. I'm a guide dog user. You're a guide dog user. Yeah. <laughs> so, so welcome. Um, I know that you and you and Annie Chiapetta and I go to the same guide dog school. So um, anyway, so I'm really curious about, uh, to start, Leslie, your beginnings. How did you discover you had a talent in music? My dad was a singer. He should have been doing opera, I think, but I guess for whatever reason he didn't, but he certainly had the voice for it. He was a tenor and I loved hearing him sing. And then when my brother was five and I was three, my brother started playing the piano and he would just play for fun. And then eventually my dad taught him how to play some simple songs. And then by the time my brother was seven and I was five, my dad, he couldn't teach us anymore. We had apparently passed up his levels, I guess. So then um, I started, my brother and I started taking piano lessons and I would play back on the piano what my, what my brother was playing just by ear. And I had this one toy. I remember it. It was called a, a magical musical thing. And it had, you would, you could slide your finger up and down and it was, it would play the notes, different notes. So yeah. I started playing songs, melodies of songs I heard on the radio. Um, and when I got to know what notes were and what music was, uh, my mom said that told me the story a lot of times that when a car horn would blow, I would say, oh, that's in the key of D major, or that's in the key of F sharp minor. <laughs> I knew what, what key it was. And I just liked music. The first song I ever sang was America the Beautiful. And there's this recording of me singing it when I was four with the Muppets record. The Muppets which, uh, record. It sounds kind of funny, <laughs> the, the recording that I have. I think I still have it somewhere. And so my parents realized that, you know, hey, maybe this is something that we want to pursue and see where it goes. So when I was six, 
and um, my brother was um, how old was he? he was seven. He we started on piano lessons, and I studied with the same teacher for eleven years, all the way up through my junior year of high school. And I was the kind of person who would always wanted to add something new on. I always had to keep busy, so I started piano when I was um, six. And then two years later, when I was eight, I started cello. My so, brother so, had started violin. So why the cello? I mean, you know, that's that, that's well a... because it would complement the violin. Ah, okay. And I would be sitting down when I played it, and my mom thought my mom liked the sound of the cello. I liked the sound of the cello, and she thought I looked good, would look good with the cello. The thing that none of us thought about is lugging it around, but <laughs> there's workarounds. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's that. a big that's a big, but it's not as big as drums, which I played. So uh, right, my, right. My dad used to when I played gigs, and I would you know take my keyboards and my uh, amps and all that stuff. That daddy would go helping me do that, and he said, "I don't know why she couldn't play piccolo." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> so Leslie, uh, just for the record, were you born totally blind? Yes, I have ROP. So okay. I've been blind since birth. Okay. Totally so, blind. So you um you were playing the piano and you were playing the cello. How did yep. bro, how did bro music fit into all of this? Oh my gosh. I hated it at first. I couldn't stand uh-huh. braille music when I first saw it because I thought, what do I need this for? I can learn by ear. So I put it aside. And it wasn't until a high school when I started voice lessons and I was in my choir that the choir director sat me down one day and he's like, you're going to learn how to read music and you're going to learn how to do this yourself. So of course at that age, I was like, well, yeah, right, whatever. So my sophomore year of high school, I was still, I, I took voice all the way throughout high school and I was in choir for all four years. And one day during my sophomore year, I decided I don't need the music. I could just learn it by ear. And so I showed up with no music, no braille copy. And the choir director stopped the rehearsal. And he says, Leslie, where's your music? I said, I don't need it. I can memorize. And he says, I would appreciate if you learn how to read music. It's going to be the best thing for you. And then he just went on with his rehearsal. And, you know, and little did he know that he inspired something in me to start using braille music. So how did you how did you learn braille music? I mean, you were taking lessons with sighted uh, teachers who presumably presumably knew very little about braille music. How did you actually learn how to read braille music? I took the Hadley course when I was in high school, and I had a little bit of background with braille music um, in third grade. But other than that. I didn't really get formally taught until I went to a program in 2000, let me think now, 2002, the Southern California Conservatory of Music, which is unfortunately no longer in existence. But at the time, they offered courses for blind people, one on Braille music, one on computer music using like Cakewalk. Right. And then the other on a piano and where you could go and have rehab pay for it. So I had to pay for my airfare, but rehab paid for all the rest. And I took this two week long course on, I had braille music every day. And then I had 
computer music every day and I had piano um, like three times. And it was really an eye opener for me. And oh, for real. it was all one-on-one, which was really nice. I got to work with Richard Tache, who's a very well-known Braille music transcriber. I've never um, heard that name, which doesn't mean anything. Um, have you heard the name of Betty Krolik? Yes. 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 Well, she turned out to be my transcriber. She did my whole orchestration book, and she did Ooh. some choir pieces for me and some cello pieces for me in college. And how I got connected with her was there was an article in the Denver Post about me when I attended the Aspen Music Festival in 1997. And in that article, I was saying how I learned by ear and how Braille music was slow and difficult. Well, Mm. guess what? Betty Krolik happened to read that article. So she wrote me a very nice letter. And she said, I wanted to let you know that it's not difficult to learn how to read Braille music. Here's what you do. So that was another invitation to me to think, you know what, maybe, maybe she's right. Cause sooner or later, there's not going to be anyone available to record for me. Right. Right. So, um, so, so you, that sort of intensive course you took in high school, how did that change your life? Well, the Hadley course I took in high school and, um, I, it, it got kind of boring. So I, quit the course, but the one at Southern California Conservatory of Music, that changed my life because it gave me confidence. And I had also, I was in the process of applying for a job at Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp in Michigan for the summer where I could be a sectional teacher. So I'd work with all the cellos every day. And there's no way I could have done that without Braille music. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense to me. So talk to you about that job. Where were you in your education when you applied for that job? I was between, I had already received my master's degree. So I was between, was right after my master's degree and before my music therapy coursework that I did. So it was the summer before and I was all set to go into music therapy. I spent that summer at Blue Lake and it just, it literally turned things around for me. I discovered that I had a a love and a passion for teaching. Teaching, so, but teaching, but not doing music therapy because the two the two are connected, but they're not the same. They're right? so different, though. Yeah. Okay. When you when you yeah. do music therapy, you're teaching someone how to do a, a skill, right? A specific skill, like for example, um, you know, arm movement. You might have somebody play an auto harp or something called an omni chord, which is very similar to the auto harp. Yeah. You strum it up and down and it doesn't take a lot of pressure at all to make notes sound um for me the teaching the music was more about performing mm -hmm. and i did eventually figure that out and and that summer summer program helped you helped you figure that out yes yes so i kind of went into the music therapy equivalency like what am i doing this for (laughs) yeah sure (laughs) but everything was all set up yeah yeah so uh, let's back up a little bit so uh, you graduated from high school. You, mm-hmm. you, you, were, you were doing piano and you were doing voice and you were doing cello. Right. Like, also, well, the, I dropped piano before my senior year, the summer between my junior and senior year of high school, because I okay. decided I wanted to major in cello and it was really hard to keep up all three. I so, would think yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. I stuck to cello and voice okay. my senior year of high school. And then where did you go to undergraduate? 
Northern Illinois University. Okay. And how did Aspen fit into all of this? Aspen was recommended by my cello teacher at Northern Illinois University. Okay. So I went to that music festival at Aspen in summer of 97 and summer of 98. For those who don't know, Aspen Music Festival is one of the most prestigious summer music festivals in the country. Last I heard, there were five different orchestras and, you know, and jazz bands and wind ensembles and composition and piano. It's, 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 it's an amazing festival and an incredible experience for performers and composers. So talk to me about how, um, uh, how did you apply? How did you get in? What did you learn from, from, from doing that? And, you know, so talk about that experience in the Aspen Music Festival. Well, I applied. I obviously, I needed cited help to complete the application because it wasn't online. It wasn't accessible. So I I completed the application and sent that in with a tape, an audition tape of me playing. And I got recommended for uh, for a, a scholarship. And then I also got a scholarship from, oh, what is it called? Um, it's it's called bold in Colorado. It's like building on building on leisure activities. Um, something 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 or another. Gotta, I don't remember yeah, what it was okay. called. It, it doesn't matter. They, so you got two scholarships. Me, they gave me a scholarship too. So I got two scholarships to go, and I was able to get in with the teacher that was recommended to me. So I flew out to Aspen and back, me and my guide dog, and uh, it, it was for nine weeks. And it was great because not only did I get experience playing in orchestras, but I also did some chamber music. So my first summer there, I did a piano or no string quintet. The piece that I played was the Schumann cello quintet. And then the second summer I was there, I did the orchestras and I also did uh, the Schumann piano quintet was my chamber music piece that I did. And I also got to have a lot of experiences like socializing experiences, like going on hikes and going to the gondola and riding it down the mountain. Just lots of, it it was, it was amazing. Um, It was really amazing. Did you happen to go whitewater rafting? I did. Yeah, I do too. The second summer there, I went whitewater rafting. It it, was fun. It's an awesome experience. So I am really curious about your experiences, especially um, playing in orchestras. So talk to me about that process. Of course, the obvious question is, there are two obvious questions. The first one is, how did you learn the music? And the more interesting question to me is, how did you work with a sighted conductor? How did that work out? Talk about that experience and how you learned to work in that circumstance. Okay, so all the way up from... When I started cello, uh, which was when I was eight, so all the way up from when I was eight to the first semester of my undergrad, no, not my undergrad, my graduate degree, first semester of graduate school, I learned everything by ear. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to have two graduate assistants throughout my time of, at Northern Illinois University, and they were assistants to the cello teacher there, but they're job was to record the music for me and guide me on and off stage and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so they recorded everything. And then when I got to my second semester of graduate school, I did have an assistant, but my cello teacher in graduate school, it was the familiar sitting me down and saying, you need to learn to do this yourself. And because you're not going to get 
people always available to record stuff for you. So I started using Braille music in my lessons for my lesson pieces, but not yet in orchestra. Um, so uh, before we go any further, where'd you go to graduate school? Uh, Eastman School of Music in Rochester, in, New York. In Rochester, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I interrupted your story. So you were, uh, you were transitioning from having stuff played for you and then to learning the stuff using Braille music. Yeah, for my lesson pieces. But I continued learning the orchestra pieces by ear. And it wasn't until in the summer of 2000 when I went to Meadowmount School of Music. That's in Westport, New York. That teacher there said, okay, I'm not letting anybody record anything for you. And you're going to use the, exclusively the Braille music. Needless to say, that just turned everything upside down for me. But it was the best he ever did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because Tough now I can pick up a piece and look at it and, and yeah. read it. So it's, it's really cool that as hard as it was, I'm sure, for her to do that, and as hard it, it was for me to take the news... <laughs> There was a true gift in it for you. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. So now you were asking about working with a sighted conductor. At my very first orchestra concert in, in third grade, what the director had me do was, you know how you start with your bow across your right knee and that's rest position? You start there and then she had my stand partners say prep. And that meant put your bow vertically on your knee. So you have the bow screw on your knee and then the tip is sticking up in the air. That's prep. And then she had my stand partner say play when I had a, so I could put my bow on the string along with everyone else. And she just conducted. She recorded everything for me at the time. And I was able to follow her. And the only time if she had to, to, coach me to come in was if maybe the cellos were starting at a certain spot and she wanted all the cellos to play at the same time she would tell me where it was and then she'd count out one two three four but as you changed conductors then did you find that you you know had i guess some communications issues that you had to work out it depended it depended on the conductor like yeah. There was one condu conductor I had that would say, okay, everyone, take your music out in the order that's written on the board. Uh, and, right. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I, I was able to follow her pretty good. I was able to follow all my conductors that I had pretty good. And anything that went awry, we just worked out. I always had a private lesson with them. Yeah. In high school, there were, we had four different, no, Wait, one, two, three, five different conductors all throughout the four years of high school. And they each had their own style and, and working with me. And I was yeah. never discriminated against or anything. I was just part of the orchestra. And I developed, I guess you could call it a sixth sense, if you will, of following tempos, like being right with the group. Yes. And Can when I started... When, I'm when sorry. I keep, keep, keep when I started playing in Elmhurst Symphony, I decided that I was going to learn all my orchestra music through Braille music. So I have a transcriber that I work with, and my husband, who's also a cellist, he, and he's sighted. He uses the Goodfield, Lime, and Sharp Eye programs to transcribe music for me as well. 
But I but after so I have the braille card, it's all up to me. For those who don't know, what is what is good feel in Shopify? So Dancing Dots has this suite of programs out where you don't have to know braille music to be able to transcribe it. You just need to know how to use the programs. So let's say you're transcribing a piece. So you would scan it using Sharpie. You'd scan it into the computer and then you would convert the image to notes, to actual music on the staff. And then you import that music into Lime, which is a music notation editor, and you edit in that. And then your final step is to import the Lime file into Goodfeel. And that's Goodfeel is the program that translates that Lime file into Braille music. I imagine that helped you to speed up getting your music. Oh, yes. Uh, significantly, didn't it? Yes. Yes. By leaps and bounds, it did. Right. And now there's a way, there's a, pro, a format out there called XML. And as more publishers get their music on the internet in XML format, you could download the XML file, import it into Lime, and then trans- import it into Goodfield, where you, don't, you eventually won't even need that cited assistance part to have it scanned in. Um, uh-huh. So that's, I think that's the way that I see things going in terms of eliminating uh, that first step. Yeah, I'm gonna, that's great. I'm gonna and you, a- and, and I, I think we read in your little uh, bio thing that you sent to us that you, you also teach technology as well as teaching your music. Well, students, I, teach, right? I teach Braille music and cello. I don't teach assistive technology. Oh, okay. So, Leslie, I, I want to go back a little bit because I'm really fascinated with your work in the orchestra. And, and I want to see if we can probe that a little further with but, but following sighted conductors, because I think this is an issue that for me, as a, as a personal experience, who's also played in orchestras, was a really interesting experience. And so I'm, you, know, you talked about developing your sixth sense. And I would imagine at the Aspen Music Festival, you were working with different conductors. Is that yes. correct? Did you? Yeah. So how, uh, that must have been interesting to adjust to the, the quirks of each conductor. Uh, talk about that. And how did you learn to adjust and what, what techniques did you use to, to do your best to follow what was going on around you? What were some of the I just that you... listened. I just did a lot of listening. And sometimes I got verbal cues from my stand partner. And to this day, even in orchestra, I'll, I'll get verbal cues from my stand partner. Like, okay, he's getting ready. And then I'll, I'll get a, a breath in like an upbeat. So the conductor might be counting one, two, three, and then I'd get like mm. that. And then I know when to come in just by that one upbeat breath. Just as you do in choral music. Yes. Yeah. You know, when you sing in choirs and stuff. The Right. And the quickness of the breath makes a difference too, doesn't it? So if you're, yes. if you're playing a slow thing, it's a, it's a much deeper breath. And if it's a mm-hmm. fast thing, it's a very quick breath. Like the, the breath goes with the pulse of the music. Right. So right. the quicker the music, the quicker the breath. The slower the music, the slower the breath. So uh-huh. in Aspen and other orchestras, how do conductors treat you? Were there folks who were a bit uh, concerned about this blind cello player out there? Or how, how no. Conductors? no, no, it was very um, accommodating. In fact, I even had a couple of the conductors come up to me, introduce themselves and say, I'm so glad you're doing this. That's great. That's great. And how did you yeah. respond? 
I just said, thank you. So am I. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's good. That's good. That's good. So you went to Eastman. Mm-hmm. I, I gather you're getting your master's in what? Cello performance? Yes, I have a bachelor's and a master's in cello performance. Okay. So talk about your experience at Eastman. What was that like? It was obviously very music focused. The dorm was literally right across the street from the school. And they were able to let me have my own practice room because those practice rooms would literally fill up from morning to night. And some of them had electrical outlets. Some of them didn't. Some of them had electrical outlets outside the room itself. So I had thought it would be easier for me to have my own practice room so I could set up in there and I need the outlet for my tape recorder. So they did give me my own practice room, which worked out beautifully because when my assistant would come in and record things for me, we would just use that room all the time. And did you work with composition, Leslie? No, I didn't. Uh-huh. Well, you did, no, work, I didn't. You, you did work with orchestration, though. You, you mentioned you took an orchestration course. Yeah, I had a reader. That was my solution because I didn't know at that time how to do MIDI or cakewalk. Sure. So I would prepare my assignments very early. So I had time to dictate them to my reader and turn them in on time so people could play them. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's the way I did it, too, when I was in graduate school. So <laughs> I, yeah. know, I, I know I know the drill. Yeah, that's it. So. All right. So you so you um, so talk about your so you, presumably you had to play in orchestras, right? You had to mm-hmm. um, you had to take various courses. Did you have a recital to you to prepare for as well? I did do recitals. I did a recital my first year of graduate school. And then I did one my second year of graduate school, which counted as my graduate recital. And then I stayed on an extra semester to take a class over again that I hadn't done so well in the semester before. And what was really cool is that I was able to have Betty Krolik braille the music for it. Ah, So it really helped for me to have that music in braille. It was a music for the Renaissance. and. I ended up getting a B minus in the class. So, and darn proud of it, huh? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because music history is tough. Yeah, it can be. It can it's be. Very t- <laughs> Absolutely can yeah. be. Do you have recordings of your playing that if people were interested in hearing you play, do you have some of that, some recordings? Yes, that- I do. And how would one have the opportunity to do that? Get in touch with you and do you sell your work or would you just share that or how would that work? Well, you can look me up on YouTube and okay. um, there's another podcast I did that I was involved in with the NFB performing arts division. It's called all things strings was the name of the episode. So there's some playing I did on there and there's some uh, playing that I did. I was featured on the website of the Elmhurst symphony not too long ago I was playing some Bach unaccompanied, one of the unaccompanied cello suites by Bach. I was playing the last movement and the conductor featured it because it was uh, right near Bach's birthday was when he put it up. So that was pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, I think uh, at the end of this podcast, we'll be playing some of Leslie's uh, stuff so people can hear uh, what she sounds like. So we're looking forward to hearing that as well. So I missed, uh, I missed the orchestra you're playing in now. You said the orchestra that I'm playing in now. Yes. 
It's called the Elmhurst Symphony. Okay. And that's in Illinois, correct? Yes. So talk about that orchestra. How big is it? Uh, what kind of music do you play on a, t- on a typical program? I'm talking pre-COVID. You know, how many concerts did you play? Do you play a year? You know, that kind of stuff. So there, pre-COVID, there were five concerts a year. I would play in three or four of them. And the typical program would start out with some kind of overture and then uh, either a movement of a concerto or a full concerto. And then the second half would be like a symphony of some kind. The first piece I ever played with the Elmhurst Symphony was the Verdi Requiem. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Very long piece, very long piece, very tough cello part. And that would be about the length of a whole concert. That's and it. I was able to, I was able to manage that. So you, you presumably memorized the whole thing, correct? Yes. Yeah. You had to, mm-hmm. you had to. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a good hour and a half piece of music as I remember. Yes. Yeah. Never mind the fact that it's choir and lots of uh, drama and so on and so forth. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So as you're preparing to play a concert, how do you prep? Like, how do I learn a piece? You know, you're going to have a concert, let's say in October, right? Of, of mm-hmm. three pieces. How do you prepare to play in that concert? You know, uh, I presume you get the music. Do you have to get it brailled? How do you memorize it? Sort of talk us through how you sort of get ready to play a concert. So what I do is at the beginning of the season, I talk with the conductor on the phone and we talk about what pieces I'm going to play. And I usually play on the first piece and then the second half. And the reason I do that is because he would rather have me focus on the main pieces that we're playing instead of a bunch of accompaniment, concerto accompaniments. So um, I write down what we're going to play. I make a list of the music that that I'm going to play in. And then I go on Imslip, I-M-S-L-P. And you can get PDF parts right there. You just have to look for the piece, um, whether you want a score or a violin part or a viola part or cello part or wind part, whatever it is, they have it. And for that part, I will actually have my husband go on Imslip because there was one point or time where I thought I was getting downloading a cello part and it was actually something else. So (laughs) (laughs) I just have him check to make sure it's right. And he'll go look at the part and he'll say, okay, I can manage this one. Or you might want to have your transcriber do that one because that's a little harder. And then I divide the music up between the two of them. And uh, I'll assign, I'll say like, okay, you're doing the, my, my husband's doing this, this, and this, and my transcriber's doing that, that, and that. So they work on the music. I usually like to get it all a month before the first rehearsal so I can work on it. Yeah. And then once I get it and I read through it, and I find that learning through Braille music is more tiring than learning by ear. It, it's, t- it's a different kind of mental energy. So I find I have to take more breaks when using Braille music. I know I thought I'd lose my mind when I first started working on fugues and Braille music. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it was an adjustment. <laughs> that's, that's a kind word for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you incorporate your ears with that prepping for, for rehearsals? Okay, that's a really good question. So once I decide what pieces I'm going to play, 
after I've gone on gone on MSlip and everything, I go on YouTube or iTunes somewhere where I can quickly get a recording of the piece. And what the recording does is it helps me put the whole picture together. It helps me mm-hmm. understand how everything fits together. And I just listen and listen and listen. So I know it backwards and forwards. And then when, and then when you get the Braille music, what happens then? Then I start, I'll read four measures at a time and then I'll play and I'll play until I have those memorized. And then I'll do the next four measures and then play them. Well, what you do when you learn Braille music, right, girl? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just you just read, play, read, play. You know, then you might read and then put the first four and the second four measures together and read all those the eight measures so you know how they go together. And if there's a part I'm really not sure about, I'll go back to the recording and listen to it. Otherwise, since my husband is a cellist, I might ask him, you know, what is this note or what is what does this sound like? And he'll either sing it for me or play it on the piano or he'll get his cello out and play it for me. So, but I rarely have to do that these days. Right. Once you've memorized the chunk of the piece, do you then play to, play to the recording? That is, you have the recording. Oh, yes. I'll turn my A-L-E-X-A volume up to 10. <laughs> I'll play along with the recording. Thank goodness for Alexa, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, seriously. And when you, so when you go, go to your first rehearsal, it sounds like you're pretty prepared. Oh, yeah. You, you got to be. I, There's course. sight reading. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so when you're rehearsing, what adjustments do you make? In other words, you've memorized the part. Are there things you do differently after the rehearsal? You go back and look at things differently? Or how, how do you use the rehearsal to, to sort of sharpen what you've already learned? Well, there might be, for instance, a change in Boeing's. Maybe something that we were doing all separate bows. And that means where you're going both directions. What I'm going to say like down, up, down, up, mm-hmm. down, up. So your bow goes right and then for the down and then left for the up. So you're going right, left, right, left, right, left. And each note is per, you know, one note per bow. Um, what if the conductor or the section leader says, I want to make those all down bows? then I have to make that change in my mind and then it's got to stick. So you play presumably music of all periods. I mean, you play a classical music, you play, might play a Haydn symphony, you might play a Mozart symphony, you might play a Beethoven something or other. Uh, what 20th century pieces have you played or 21st century pieces have you played recently in your orchestra? Um, I pretty much have stayed away from those pieces because they would be harder to braille and harder to memorize. That's true. That's absolutely true. Okay. So let's go back. You graduated from Eastern School, right? Mm-hmm. And right. then what did you do next? You know, obviously, you need something to do with your life. You knew it was not in music therapy. So how did you find your way after getting out of uh, graduating from Eastman? Well, out of Eastman was where I got introduced to music therapy. I actually took a class called Intro to Music Therapy, and it sounded really neat. And it sounded like something I... I really thought it was something that I would be interested in because you're helping people out and you're using music. Little did I know that basically you take the performing right out of it and it's a totally different mindset. So you're helping people with skills and learning how to do certain things or let out certain emotions. And it's more of a therapeutic basically it doesn't matter if the music sounds bad or not that's not what you're focusing on you're focusing on 
is the client making progress or not? So I thought, wow, this is really cool. I could do, I want to do this and help people out. So I took a semester off and did a lot of research. I hooked up with a music therapy listserv and I was ready to do it. I, I picked up my dad's guitar and he started showing me how to play it. And um, then I went to the summer at Blue Lake where I had my first teaching job. I was the cello sectional teacher, but I was also a unit counselor. So the other part of my job was to fill in for counselors who had the night off. <laughs> so I, I'd watch their cabin. Um, or you could be asked to watch their cabin at the last minute. Maybe the counselor had a family emergency and had to go home. So they'd ask the unit counselor to fill in. Anyway, that was the job where I discovered my absolute love of teaching. So it was really hard to make the transition back into music therapy after I, I discovered how much I love to teach. So you, so you graduated from Eastman and mm -hmm. you knew you did not want to do music therapy. And well, so no, when I graduated from Eastman, I knew I did want to do music therapy. Oh, okay. I was I, ready I to do music one. therapy until I went to Western Illinois, where I did my music therapy coursework. And I had had that summer of teaching at Blue Lake. I get it. I and then it. I okay. was like, right. what am I doing this for? You know, it was, it was okay. like I, I, I mentally I, switched. Yeah. So now so, you okay, teach so you, private lessons or do you teach it at a school of some sort? I teach private lessons. Just private lessons. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. I thought I understood. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great that you could get it. You know, what we try to do mm -hmm. is figure out what it is we want to do and then do it. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Leslie, I, I mis misheard what you said. So that's okay. You get your master's. You, you think you want to do music therapy. You find out that you don't want to do music therapy. And so how did you start your new career as a musician? Well, I... Finished the coursework for music therapy in 2003. And then in January of 2004, I started my internship for music therapy. And I noticed that every time I would leave my internship and go home, I could not get enough of cello music. I just wanted to listen to like turn on a Yo-Yo Ma CD and just keep listening to it. And it was often this great sadness, like, why aren't I up there on stage? Why aren't I playing these? And at first I thought, well, it's just a temporary thing. It's part of the transition process. But I realized that it wasn't. And a month after the internship, I had decided that, you know what? I really need to be teaching and not doing music therapy. So I quit the internship. And I started teaching at a local music store where I was living at the time. And then eventually I moved back home to start my very first full-time job at the Chicago Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. And that was in June of 2004. So I, had, I knew I had to put music on the back burner because between commuting to a full-time job, working and commuting back, it didn't leave me with a whole lot of time. What was that job, Leslie? Braille transcription. Braille, okay. Oh, that was Braille transcription. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, maybe I could do both. I could do this full-time job of Braille transcription and play in a symphony uh, where I was living in my hometown of Park Ridge, playing an orchestra. Well, I didn't play a very good audition, which didn't help my cause. 
I also didn't have discovered I didn't have as much time as what I like to prepare for it. So I played my audition and the conductor basically said, well, you're, you're not dedicated enough. And I'm wondering if you have the time to do this. And I was so furious with him and with myself that I did not touch my cello for nine months after that, because I thought, well, what in the world? I'm working hard. I'm not getting anywhere. I was very, very discouraged. So during that nine months, that was a, a time of soul searching. And I needed to figure out who else I was besides the blind girl that played the cello. So during that time, I discovered that I love, I love uh, technology. I love to knit. Um, and I actually loved the fact that I, I love being able to travel on uh, public transportation, going to and from work. And eventually cello did find its way back into my life very slowly. And it took about from 2004 to 2017, it was took, took me about 13 years to finally have the guts to audition for another orchestra because I had, I auditioned for the first one in 2004. And then I think it was 2007, I think I thought, well, maybe I'll audition for this other local orchestra. Well, I got as far as the principal cellist who basically said, well, this is not going to work. And at the time I believed her, but if somebody told me that now, you know what I would say? I would say, oh yes, it can work. Here's a YouTube video. Watch it. Come and watch, you know, because yes, it can be done. And so anyway, I finally got up the guts to audition for Elmer's Symphony and that conductor was, I worked really hard on that audition and that conductor was very open. I did tell him beforehand that I was blind just to make him aware. Um, and he, he was just, he, all he said was, okay, have you played in orchestras before? And I said, yes, I have. And the other thing I did, which helped my cause there is I had him talk with two conductors that I had had recently one was one of them that i had in college who i took conducting class from and i played in the orchestra when he conducted in my undergrad and then the other person was the choir director of my church that i'd been working with for a very long time so they both of them wrote recommendations and then i had my audition and i all i remember was i played first and the conductor of the elmhurst symphony asked me a bunch of questions I don't remember what they were, but I do remember I was able to answer them calmly and directly and confidently. And finally, he said, well, I'd like to try it. And I was like, it took every ounce of control for me not to like jump off my seat and jump up in the air. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to make sure we talk about your, your what you're doing now. How many cello students do you now have? Right now I have one cellist. And I have six Braille music students. And talk about what you do with your six Braille music students. How do you structure the lessons? What kinds of things are you trying to teach them? How, do, how, does that, how does a typical Braille music lesson go? It depends on their level and what instrument they play. But I start everyone out with on uh, Richard Tation's Introduction to Music for the Blind Student. And I start them out on the different exercises so they can sight sing. And you solfege, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. 
And that simple music, it's easy. You don't have any chords. You don't have any dynamics. It's just all notes. So they can really get a good feel of the notes and the time signatures and the key signatures. After we finish that, then I branch out into uh, music for their instrument. So what, what, what instruments are you, are you teaching uh, for music? I have, let's see. So I've worked with a violinist. I've worked uh, right now. I'm working with a percussionist who's actually learning how to play some pieces on piano. Um, so I'm teaching him a little bit of piano plus the music. Um, I have had my first student was a terrific pianist. I worked with her for about five years. In fact, she was my first one that I had pretty steadily. And then things went up from there. So I've been, I've been teaching Braille music for, I would say, the last seven going on eight years. Do, do you also teach them the uh, dance and dot suite, you know, feel good and lime and all of that? Uh, no, no, I, I do not teach them that software. Yeah. But you do well, teach, you teach them the basics, right? You know, the, you know, the, the it, basics of the physical reading. Yes. Reading of it. And they have to read it or sing it. They either play it or sing it. And I follow along. And yeah. if a mistake is made, I'll say, you know, whoops, go back. Or I don't say, I, I try to do it to redirect them in a very affirming way. Mm-hmm. So are these lessons done via Zoom these days? Or, uh, I mean, uh, or before, before COVID, was this, how many of these, were, were these all done in person? Or uh, how, did that, how did that work? My first student was done in person. And then, okay. but her and her family, her parents, she was blind and her, both of her parents were blind. So they had to take her transit from the city of Chicago to my house. And the hair transit got to be so unreliable that we decided to switch to doing it over Skype. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, hey, I could do this over Skype. This isn't so bad. And then the same student wanted to switch to FaceTime. So then we switched to FaceTime. So um, I do whatever the platform the student is comfortable with. If it's FaceTime, great. If it's Zoom, great. If it's Skype, great. So since that's been more prevalent, has that expanded the, I mean, I know that you started with people, you know, near your community, but now that we're Skyping and Zooming and carrying on, has that expanded the places that you've taught people, you know, like maybe oh, somebody yes. from California or New York oh, or whatever? Oh, yes. I have people all across the country now. Okay. That's what I thought, perhaps. That's neat. Mm-hmm. So imagine that I'm somebody who hates braille music, and I have, and I'm, I'm a talented musician, but I don't want any part of braille music. I have some success doing a number of things musically, but I have never learned braille music. Sell me on the concept of why braille music is so important. I would say braille music is so important because, first of all, it can allow you to learn a piece independently, and you don't have to rely on someone else to play it for you. You can also take in everything at once, such as dynamics, articulations, um, accent marks, staccatos. You could take all that in through one swipe of the finger. Um, Bowing marks, uh, formatas, you could take all that in at once rather than having to wait for the section on the tape 
that says, okay, now we're going to do bowings or now we're going to do fingerings. You could take everything in all at once. Mm -hmm. The other thing about Braille music is that with having that music in front of you, you are on an equal playing field with sighted musicians. So if you're told, okay, let's start at letter C, you can look on your part and you know exactly where letter C is. As if you don't have the music, you might have to ask someone or memorize where the rehearsal letters are. So uh, that uh, thank you for that sales pitch. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, are there any further questions from anybody? Uh, Jason, I know you- I'd like questions. to comment and just say that I'm thrilled that you and others like you are, are teaching Braille music. Unfortunately, I encountered a number of situations where it was a little bit of a, it felt kind of like a preconceptions from sighted peers about what it means to play by ear. And they weren't really interested in my learning that way. They wanted me to do the equivalent of, of reading music, which in our case is braille music. And, mm -hmm. and in the way that it was approached, I, I kind of felt equally resistant, like, well, I'm, I don't know if I want to do that and why, you know, why is it that way? I want, um, I want to be able to just hear it. And like you described, you described a situation where a teacher said, well, I'm not going to allow anyone to record parts for you. That would have just gotten me so <laughs> angry. And, you might you have know, changed teachers over there. I was. <laughs> I was. I was angry at first. I thought, what are you doing to me? <laughs> yeah. And well, not only it's that. It's such a gift when you can know that they're both tools, the Braille music and our ears, and we don't right. have to choose between them. Right. You could decide, okay, I need to look at this part more closely. I'm going to read it. Oh, wait, now I need to hear how it goes with the instruments. I'm going to hear it. I was going to right. say, too, another advantage of Braille music is if you listen to everything by ear and someone has to play it, you are relying only on their interpretation. What about your interpretation? Right. That's what the Braille music does. It gives you that freedom to use the guidelines from the composer that are placed before you. And then you tell your story as you hear the music in your head. I think that's true. I like you know? that. I like the comment that cool. I think that Nancy or somebody made that that I really hit my stride when I realized that I could use both braille music and my ears to my best advantage when I was learning yes. orchestral music. Yes, and that made things so much faster uh, for me. Mm -hmm. um, Did you have trouble uh, getting parts or getting your music when you were in undergraduate school? Or oh, uh, I had braille. I had to braille my own music. So I had to get a reader in and, you know, and, and they had to read all, you know, all the things yeah. and it, it took forever. But, oh yeah. Uh, but that was the only way, you know, back, back at that time, that's all, that's the only thing that was the only way it could get done. Yeah. I couldn't get piano music uh, that I needed to have. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I had to use readers basically. Yeah, they got a whole bunch on Bard now. There's oh, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you, you, you another, I'm so glad, Jason. Oh, so I was going to say another aspect of Braille music that I appreciate too is that it kind of forces you to stay up on your music theory. I mean, you get to yes. see all the math. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Really, that is really true. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Leslie, we sort of dropped your vocal piece. I know you still sing in choirs. How much of Braille music do you use in your, uh, your choir work? Um, actually, I don't sing in choir anymore in okay. church. 
but I am participating in the NFB virtual choir for the second year in a row. Ah, uh, yes, that, that choir. Uh, so back up, but you, you did sing in choirs before, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So, so when you did sing in choirs, uh, did you did you use pro music at all? Uh, or did you I did it? after my high school director, choir director insisted on it. Mm-hmm. In front of the whole class. Uh, yes, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Take a little bit of sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. So are there, are, there more, are there more questions for Leslie before I wrap this up? No, I just want to say that we really have enjoyed having you with us. And, and it's just been great to talk with you and learn about your accomplishments. It's been great. Okay. Yes. and. I'm curious if someone were interested in learning from you, taking lessons from you, how would, how would they reach you? That's actually oh, yeah, question. That's important. I'm going to give my email address and you would just, if someone were interested in studying with me, they could email me and we would set up a trial lesson so we could see if we're a good match. And if that trial lesson works out, which usually they do. Um, I like the student to make this think about it a few days and then get back with me and say, yes, I'm interested. I like to have them make the commitment on their own because I find that they're more serious about it. There's certain rates that I have for a half hour lessons and hour lessons. I prefer to give those uh, individually to the person that's interested in studying with me. I will say this, they are pretty reasonable. And your email address? My email address is lhamrick930 at comcast.net. So I'll spell that. It's L-H-A-M-R-I-C 930 at comcast.net. I hope we get lots of students. I think that would be awesome. Me too. (laughs) I have been getting some referrals from the performing arts division with NFB, which is really cool. So I really hope that those of you who are out there listening that look me up. And if you're interested in uh, studying Braille music with me, then contact me and we'll be ready to rock and roll, hopefully. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you in the future. Thank you very much for having me. It was great. Now we will hear a recorded piece from Leslie called Spring Song by Frank Bridge. Marilyn Robbins is on piano. Leslie is on cello.
Art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Radio. It airs beginning every Saturday at 8 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. To listen and for a full schedule, go to www.acbradio.org mainstream. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org and please feel free to check out our website, www.friendsinart.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month. <laughs>